0: Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at f one pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramay.
1: Hey, everybody. What is up? Welcome back to the podcast. It is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark Daly here Welcome you back to the show this week. And as always, I hope wherever you and your loved ones are, you are safe, you are healthy, and you are managing well in these very scary and uncertain times. And yes, there is news in Formula One and like everything else, it has uh, to do with the the broader implications of everything that is going on in the world as the global state of things is basically ground to a halt as we all deal with uh, the coronavirus pandemic and hopefully... It will end sooner than rather than later, but the, the effects have been profound and they've been far reaching. And of course, uh, Formula One, although it has the appearance of an ivory tower most of the time, is not immune to uh, these, uh, these sorts of things either. And it could be very, very different once it is uh, all over as uh, many other aspects of life uh, might well as be, of course. Anyways, the business side of Formula One is way beyond my expertise and knowledge, so to help bring some insight and some clarity into the situation as to what might unfold with uh, Formula One in the short and medium term is Christian Silt, who, along with Carolyn Reed, is one of the founders of Formula Money. And they specialize in the writing about the business side of Formula One and have been doing so for more than 15 years. They are the only journalists worldwide who regularly write about Formula One for national media, and every year their work is published in many uh, well-known publications. Publications including the Daily Telegraph, The Guardian, The Independent, and many more. Christian and Carolyn frequently comment on the Formula One industry for television, including many stations, including the BBC, Bloomberg, Channel 4, CNBC, CNN, and ITV. Formula Money was launched way back in 2007 as the trade guide to Formula One, containing more than 300 tables and diagrams, including the breakdown of every team's sponsorship deal, all race hosting fees, and the total resources of each team. Since then, Formula Money has provided data and consultancy to many F1 sponsors, circuits, teams, and race promoters. Christian Silt, welcome to the show. How are you this evening?
2: Very well, thanks. good to be on.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to have you here and spe- uh, appreciate you spending time with us. I know that there's a lot of things going on uh, around the world and uh, quite few of them seem to be uh, good nowadays, but uh, be, be that uh, not as it may, there is plenty of going on in the world of uh, Formula One. And of course, uh, th- there are a lot of things that need to be uh, considered, uh, considering the, well, this uh, globally induced uh, or pandemic induced uh, global uh, recession that's uh, going on. And of course, uh, no one is immune to it uh, at the moment and uh, cer- certainly, for Formula One is not immune to it uh, either. So there are a number of uh, areas that I wanted to, uh, to talk to you about uh, tonight, but let's just back it up a, a couple of weeks, uh, if, if we could, or even a little bit uh, further back, because before the uh, the, the, the crisis uh, unfolded over the past uh, couple of months here with the, uh, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic, there were already a, a number of interesting things going on in the world of uh, Formula One, uh, with, with the new technical regulations, which took an eternity to uh, finally become uh, agreed upon Uh, by all the different teams and then of course uh, the the concord agreement uh, is up at the end of the year and all the discussions about that so chris i just like to get an idea of where what sort of footing uh, formula one was on financially uh, on the business side before this all unfolded
2: yeah i mean i think things were generally speaking looking up i mean as you say they'd agreed the um the technical regulations which were due to come into effect of course next year um and now it's at least 2021 well 2022 really and then possibly 2023 um so they'd been agreed and then um the uh, obviously the budget cap which is still due to come into effect next year uh had been agreed um and really i think they were down to deciding how much uh, uh, how much money the teams would be uh Really receiving as prize money, um, and that would determine uh, uh, whether, or at least who, would be signing up to next year. Because of course, all of the teams' contracts expire at the end of this year. Um, I mean, there was large; it largely been uh, understood that the uh, everybody had signed up and everything had been agreed and 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 uh, been given the green light basically but i understood just before all of the uh, uh the coronavirus came to light i understood that certain key teams were still uh, uh in two minds about whether to continue and then of course obviously you had the um uh the pandemic that um um, um outbreak basically the coronavirus outbreak and, and really then that's taken priority since then
1: Absolutely. And it, it is very interesting here to, to, to hear some of the different um, comments coming around from the different teams. And uh, earlier today, uh, Zach Brown, CEO of uh, McLaren, says that um, that uh, the, the, he really believes that there has to be further reductions in the cost cap for, for 2021. And the exact term that uh, that, that he used, that the, the teams that are not willing to go along with that uh, are what he says, uh, quote, playing with fire. So the number that uh, the teams have uh, agreed to uh, reportedly is to, to go down from 175 million dollars down to 150 but uh, yep. brown and others are actually trying to push that down as low as uh, maybe even 125 million dollars is there what uh, how do you uh, assess that uh, chris
2: um i mean i think the the there really there are two um issues that uh, are pretty central at the minute and one of them is teams but the other one which is equally important are the uh, race organizers the promoters as they're known uh, in the trade um if you've not got any or obviously enough teams you can't host a race but by the same token if you've not got any race organizers you can't host a race and um the race organizers we wrote a, uh, a an article recently the Um, The race organisers are in uh, a very difficult position, many of them, because um, they have to uh, essentially start committing to uh, signing contracts and uh, entering into contracts, basically, and pushing the button, basically, on preparations for their race as far forward as six months in advance. So if you think about it now, we're just really the early April. So you have April, May, June, July, August, September, six months away. Um, so any race that's in September or thereabouts, you know, the end of August, maybe mid, mid-August mid to mid-September and onwards, they're going to have to start pushing the button right now on um, uh, signing contracts with uh, for temporary grandstands. Even permanent circuits use temporary grandstands because they have a, a, an increase in spectator numbers for a Grand Prix, Formula 1 Grand Prix. So they have to start pushing signing up basically entering into agreements to uh, supply uh, with suppliers for temporary grandstands for um, uh, security, uh, for extra stuff. Um, and there are two problems really. What happens is usually they're covering those costs um, uh, or allocating you know the money for those costs will be coming from uh, advanced ticket sales. So they'll sign uh, an agreement right now for temporary grandstands, which could cost as much as you know, ten million dollars, something like that, five, ten million. Um, and that they'll be comfortable to do that, the race organisers, because they will have got at least five or ten million in from advanced ticket sales. Well, at the minute, um, we've spoken to several um, ticket agencies. The ticket sales are ground to a complete halt because fans don't know if they're going to be able allowed to travel internationally. Um, if you've got international, or even nationally, in some cases, they don't know if they rate if the race will take place they don't know if they're going to have enough money to buy the tickets they don't know if they're going to need the the money they've got for other things and they don't know if they're going to be comfortable being in a big crowd so ticket sales have sales have literally ground to a halt so the race organizer doesn't have the money really in terms of coming in to fund uh, preparation for the track and, and at the same time the race organizer doesn't know if the his race is actually going to be able to take place when it's got its scheduled date in September, because they don't know what, whether the situation, the outlook is going to be better or worse by then. So the race organizers are in an incredibly difficult position. And as you've seen, um, basically as the calendar gets closer, the races are just dropping off. The re- most recent one was Canada. Um, so, you know, without the races, where do you go? I mean, they've talked about having races behind closed doors. In other words, no spectators. um, the problem there are two fo- two problems with that problem number one is what we saw in australia is that actually what put the brakes on the race was not a uh, um a, a case of coronavirus from in the spectators it was somebody in the paddock so that would still be a problem or a risk um so there's problem number one and problem number two is that the ticket sales are is what the organizers use to cover their running costs so if there are no ticket sales it's not clear to me and from conversations i've had uh, recently with race organisers, um, they're not clear yet as to how they would actually cover their costs. So, as I said, no races, you know, it doesn't really matter whether the teams are ready or not. I mean, the t- the, the issue with the teams is actually quite it's, it's simpler, really, to get your head around. That's very simple. I mean, what Zach is saying, quite rightly, is that 175 million budget cap is just not going to be workable because if teams are spending, some, if teams are al- allowed to spend that, in the event that one or two of them might have the resources to do so it's just going to price everybody else out of the equation because the vast majority of uh, of companies and, and individuals are not going to want to spend anything close to that much on, on uh, a sport really in uh, going forward you know um because of the uh, really due to the, the the strong likelihood of a, a deep recession so um really to entice people into formula one and actually where if teams go under to get new owners in you'll need a budget cap that's far far lower than 175 million um so really that's his point and uh and, and the teams at the minute are debating that um but as i said really i mean even if they do manage to get there you know to get that uh, to the finish line at a much lower uh level it kind of doesn't matter if there are no races because um that's the most
1: significant problem in my mind yeah absolutely and Chris you uh, made a couple of statements in there that I want to try and uh, unpack and discuss a little bit further and one of them I think uh, is is quite interesting and and that was one that you just briefly uh, touched on of course was the the idea of running uh, races uh, behind uh, closed doors now mm-hmm. uh, of course you were saying that uh, a lot of the money the revenue that uh, that the organizers uh, is generated from the ticket sales from people attending the the entire race weekend from the Thursday to the uh, to the Sunday or Or maybe any any one individual day but are you aware of any mechanism in the uh, in the agreements that that there are that would be able to maybe um i I don't know channel revenues from from tv numbers uh, from viewership that way to 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 the organizers is that even possible
2: um yeah i mean i think they'd have to do that in some fashion or another because the way that it works at the minute in, in broad terms is that the um uh, you have most of the races, the vast majority of them are funded by local states. So it's local, state or federal governments. And they will, uh, the governments will pay the um, average, uh, is the host the average hosting fee for Formula One race is $28 million. The governments will pay that to Formula One, which is owned by Liberty Media. So they'll cover the fee. And then the ticket sales cover the, um, uh, the running costs of a race, which, you know, for a, a street race is much higher because they have to Build much more, um, many more uh, temporary grandstands, and transform the city streets into a racetrack. So they can be you know 50 plus million dollars to arrange. Whereas a permanent track, even though they'll still need temporary grandstands and extra stuff for the race, that can be as low as you know 20, 30 kind of million dollars still a lot of money, um, for a, uh, to host a race and that's covered by ticket sales. So if there are no ticket sales, then where are they going to host, get their, um, <clears throat> where are they going to cover their costs? How are they going to get the money to cover their costs? I mean, there are two options Then, option number one is that the state would, or the local state or federal government would pay the track and the track would use the money from the state to cover their costs. And formula one wouldn't get a fee and would just, um, uh, have the broadcasting revenue, um, or the alternative is that uh, they get the fee and they give the race host a um, a cut of the broadcasting uh, revenue. So I mean, they're the two um, the two options. And obviously, Formula One has sponsors around the track, so they could give the race hosts a cut of the sponsorship revenue. Um, so I mean, they're the two options, really. I mean, I, I think that um, it's difficult. Really, to see uh, how you know how that would what 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 the business would look like under those circumstances because the race fees are somewhere in the order of six hundred million dollars annually. So, and that's out of a two billion dollar revenue. So, you know, you'd be talking about at least really a third of the business being just eroded away in terms of a revenue position. Um, uh, It is important to keep the TV going because. The TV broadcasts um, is really – that's why the governments pay the money uh, in terms of the, the – to the cover the hosting fee because they're getting TV exposure for their country, which essentially drives tourism and puts their country on the map. So they have to keep the TV, and then the TV obviously just drives sponsorship, etc. But, I mean, ultimately, um, it would still be losing a huge, a huge chunk of money.
1: Passion, drive, and patience. Yeah, absolutely, and there's something else I thought that was a little bit interest uh, interesting as well. Just uh, building on the the idea of um, the, the these cl- uh, behind closed door races, and that has been this uh, phenomena over the past uh, several weeks of these uh, virtual Grand Prix. We saw not the Oz GP, not the Bahrain Grand Prix, yeah. and then this past weekend was uh, supposed to be the inaugural race in uh, Vietnam at the the new track in Hanoi. Obviously, mm. that was uh, postponed, so uh, they put on another virtual Grand Prix, which was basically a rerun of a uh, the, uh, of Australia. And it was quite interesting. I just happened uh, to be, uh, scrolling through my phone on, uh, on my Facebook feed. And I happened to see the live video feed. I don't know what the final numbers were, but I noticed uh, at, at one point when I was watching, there was somewhere in the neighborhood of about 35, 30, 35,000 people watching this uh, virtual Grand Prix at, uh, I think it was, uh, at, at one point and it was a reduced thing. It wasn't the full, um, race distance. It was about 30 laps, but uh, it just goes to prove that, uh, well, I mean, esports is a completely different thing. Uh, I have a friend that uh, that works uh, for EA Sports, and he's involved in uh, in, the, in the FIFA uh, game and all that. But uh, it is an interesting sure. phenomenon of its uh, of its own. But I was thinking, if you can generate that sort of interest in just uh, in esports with uh, Formula One drivers and other uh, well known uh, esports uh, uh, drivers and other personalities getting involved, I was wondering myself, well, if they could actually get to a situation where it would be safe, because, like you said, the Australian Grand Prix. Re- leave really was canceled when it all started to kick off after the uh, the, the one team member at McLaren tested positive for coronavirus. But having said that, if we got to a point where international travel was, uh, was all right again, and there was some way to airlock or insulate the teams and the, and their personnel and the drivers and keep them safe, I really wonder how much of a desire there, there would be to uh, to watch races behind uh, closed doors. Obviously, it wouldn't be the same, especially if you had like, a, you know, the the Italian Grand Prix at Monza and the Tafosi are a, a crucial part of the atmosphere at that race, for example. But... I I think that there there would be a lot of interest in it. I I think that uh, if they could resurrect the world championship to some extent, I know that the the, the current uh, agreement was it need a minimum of eight races on three continents, but I'm sure that if there was some way to get the the, the season going, I'm sure that there would be some sort of uh, way that they could agree, even in a temporary measure, to push something through and uh, have a modified uh, calendar, even if they could only hold it on one continent or whatever it might be. Any thoughts on that?
2: Yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, and I think with the, um, the number of, um, uh, uh the number of continents that they're meant to have to be able to, um, to clarify to, to to, um, class be classed as a world championship. That's from what I can gather. That's actually not essential because Formula One. There seems to be a waiver for, uh, it's, it's set by the F1s governing body the FIA and there seems to be a the provision for a waiving um, for a waiver of that um, clause if the series in question has hosted world championships for many 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 years which Formula one has so I don't think they'd need to be on three continents but I mean it just really I think there's an element of professionalism that needs to be adhered to so I mean if you if they want to call it a world championship with five races at Silverstone, backwards, forwards, left, right, whatever, I mean, and then two other countries, I mean, it could look a little bit amateur. That's the problem. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've, I've seen some of these uh, alternative uh, theories as well. Yeah. And um, I, I believe that, um, first of all, uh, Silverstone, if they wanted to do that, I believe they're only sanctioned to run uh, races in one direction. That's so right. there'd have to yeah. be some sort of modifications uh, to their license to allow them uh, or permit them uh, to, to do that. Mm. But it's uh, it, it really is interesting because there there was uh, I did see something earlier today that uh, that that Ross Braun is trying to target at some form of a nineteen race season at some mm-hmm. point I I don't know yeah. how this is uh, even going, going to be uh, possible even uh, behind uh, closed doors uh, yeah. I, I, I suppose uh, there was a, a couple of ideas that were thrown out there like two day race weekends and, yeah. and and the and the things uh, things like that and pushing the season maybe into the beginning of twenty twenty and obviously what was- maybe a freeze on the technical regulations and uh what yep. all team staff being furloughed and i mean basically if they carried sure. this year's formula into 2021 then maybe yep. there is uh, flexibility uh to, to run a condensed modified schedule in in, in some form
2: mm. i mean maybe i think it's just it's unknown really that's the problem at this stage there's, yeah. there's no way of telling i mean as i said they're going back to about the um the uh, lack of um uh, hosting fees which is what you would have really i mean uh ultimately if the um uh, if if the if there are no spectators the um either the um governments have to pay the the circuits to run the race um and cover their hosting fees or formula one has to give the um circuits the uh, equivalent amount that the, that that uh, it would normally be getting from from ticket sales And ultimately, it's going to come to really somewhere in the order of, as I said, 600 million. The problem with that is that Formula One is losing that money as a company, you know, the rights holder, Liberty Media. And that, the biggest biggest loser from that is the teams, because the teams um, share in 70% of Formula One's profits as prize money. So how could the teams be sustainable under that uh, model? That's the difficulty. That's the difficulty, so I'm not sure about that.
1: Yeah, well I mean there there's been uh, several people coming out uh in the, in the past several days. Zach Brown was one of them, Jean Tote, uh, mm-hmm. president of the FIA, uh just warning about uh, the the financial situation and the possibility that uh, several teams could actually uh, disappear from from the grid. Yeah. One would have to assume that it might be some of the smaller teams that uh, always seem to to be a, a bit on the cusp when it comes to uh, having sufficient funds. I mean, we know in the past uh, several years uh prior to the injection of a uh, Lawrence Stroll and uh, his consortium Mm. that uh, rescued Force India and then uh, rebranded them into uh, Racing Point. Um, th- that's one situation. I mean, we had Haas over the past uh, several weeks. Just uh, that—that's a bit, a bit of an open uh, secret. Yeah. It seems to be whether or not they want to continue in Formula One, uh, wh- whether it's not, uh, <clears throat> sorry, whether it's uh, uh still worthwhile for them to 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 stay in the por- uh, sport. But how how accurate do you think is uh, Brown's speculation that uh, that uh, as many as uh, four teams could disappear from from the grid?
2: No, I think that's very, very likely. I mean, and that's at, at you know, I think to me that's at the, at the bare minimum. I mean, I think, um, uh, I think that's extremely likely. I mean, the what probably hasn't yet sunk in to a lot of uh, uh, of the teams and perhaps others, some of the other stakeholders in Formula One is that um, if the recessional economic crisis is as bad as as is being said, I mean, there's just no place for a sport that's going around the world racing 20 times a year and spending hundreds or billions in total of billions of dollars doing so. I mean, people aren't going to be comfortable in big crowds um, or aren't comfortable in big crowds, aren't sure if they can travel, won't sure if they'll have the money to travel. Um, I mean, that's there's just, just far too many risks and uncertainties there.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainties. And just a, a situation that um, I, I don't know, is maybe uh, maybe not received enough coverage at the moment, is the fact that uh, Lawrence Stroll has uh, just uh, invested a, a massive amount of money. It was uh, what, about half a mm, billion Aston pounds Martin. into to Aston Martin. Yeah. what uh, What is the late, latest on that uh, situation? I mean, obviously, everything's uh, up in the air at the moment. Uh, but uh, still to inject that amount of money at, uh, at this uh-huh. point, um, <laughs> what is your opinion? What's your analysis on that? that situation chris
2: well i mean what what wasn't widely picked up is the fact that he had an initial uh, agreement and i can't remember what the figures were but that agreement on after the onset of the coronavirus the, the, the original agreement was torn up and uh, basically he's getting double the original amount from what i remember uh, for the same amount because its shares fell even more when them after the outbreak so i think i think he's going to end up with 25 percent of the company but i could be wrong i mean it's, i don't follow that closely the car the detailed developments day to day with the car manufacturers so I mean he's but the fact of the matter is he's he's got a lot going to have a lot of money tied up in that but then again Formula One apparently is at the uh, heart of that plan so he's going to want to keep apparently going to want to keep the team but obviously that still is going to depend on how many cars Aston Martin may be able to sell in future
1: yeah then- Pardon me, I was just going to say, I know you You were just saying that you haven't really uh, followed the, the, the situation with the road car side of the business all that closely, but do you have any idea what, uh, what sort of uh, financial ground that they were on? I, I know that they weren't maybe as solid as one uh, might uh, think, but uh, perhaps maybe that's just my own perception of the, the, the name Aston Martin, and uh, maybe that uh, has colored my, uh, my, my opinion of it. But uh, do you have any idea of where they were uh, financially before the, all this?
2: Yeah, I mean, and they weren't doing well. I mean, I think the problem was just simply the uh, poor sales, basically, in terms of Aston Martin. And obviously, there's a lot of competition in that sector. But, yeah. uh, you know, in Mercedes, et cetera, in Janky et cetera. Um, so, I mean, uh, the, the share price had collapsed, and that's when, when the Stroll came in. I think but that, that was all before the, the virus. So, I mean, I think the current economic, climate really just calls into question any of the projections that he made or anybody made about that company and pretty much any company i mean as i said it's you know we're in a situation where in 2008 when there was the financial crisis then and for example in formula one you had the exodus of car manufacturers which is toyota honda bmw renault etc they all left um because of the financial crisis now when there was a financial crisis the financial crisis they still had their dealerships open but i mean you're in a situation at the minute where uh, car manufacturers don't even aren't even allowed to have dealerships open they're not here in the uk anyway so um they just simply can't even sell cars so i, I don't know how when they you know when they would be able to um uh to to to, to kind of like kickstart their companies again and begin to get the wheels in motion again. Nobody knows. So I don't see how it will be possible to predict and forecast what sales would be in this scenario when they're able to recommend business. We just don't know when that will be, let alone what it will look like.
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, the, the 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 situation, I mean, it changes almost hourly, definitely daily for, yeah. for all of us. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I mean, you're in the UK. I'm here on the, in Canada. I mean, everybody, I mean, there's a global audience that listens to this show and it, it is a, it is so fluid and changing so rapidly. It is, it, it's it's impossible to really look and see, well, what, what are we going to do next week, let alone yeah. what's going to happen next month? But I just yeah. wanted to look now just at the, at the leadership portion of Formula One. Obviously, Chase Care and Liberty Media have been uh, in the controlling uh, seat, in the driver's seat, uh, pun intended, of Formula One for the past uh, several years. Uh, but a couple of weeks ago, just uh, in in the fallout and the aftermath of the cancellation of the Australian Grand Prix, Bernie Ecclestone came out and said that uh, he would have just uh, flat out uh, cancelled the 2020 season. Now, I know that uh, Bernie is uh, not a fellow that is, uh, he's definitely not shy to say uh, what, what is on his mind and in the past has made some uh, rather uh, you know controversial and uh, yeah. quite uh, blunt statements, but But is it really as easy as that to to, to come out and say, I would just uh, go out and cancel the entire situation? Or is it uh, very much um, the the, the situation that Liberty and Carrie find themselves in just uh, evolving, uh, just like the the, the situation in every other aspect of life at the moment?
2: Uh, It's a difficult question. I mean, I think the point is that if you cancel the season and, uh, had detailed discussions with the teams about how much they needed to survive in terms of how much money they needed to survive until next year then provided you that money can be allocated from formula one's resources or and or the owner's resources then you can keep the team's wheels turning the flip side of the coin and that's not what liberty is doing liberty is saying we're going to try and get the season running again well if that actually ends up causing more damage whether it's not necessarily financial, but it could be reputational. Maybe that's because there ends up being an outbreak again in the paddock that's more significant and serious, or maybe it's because teams, uh, drivers are reluctant to go to the races. For example, something that hasn't really been raised much. Maybe the drivers won't be won't be happy about turning up to the races. Maybe it's because, as I said, that when they go to the races, if they're not behind, if they're behind closed doors, there just simply won't be enough money to cover the. Um, to justify the cost of going there, so you know that's a possibility. I mean, if the if this kind of situation ends up causing more damage, let's say, than good by actually ha- having the races, that's the risk that we're that's being run versus the other situation when there's no racing at all, as other sports have have um, uh, have decided to take that route and um, you know and just basically make sure that the teams are secure. That's I think what Bernie was suggesting. Now,
1: I've got a bit of an interesting follow-up question for this. One of the things that that has been implemented is by Formula One is that they've extended this factory shutdown, and a lot of the teams have furloughed their staff for for the time being. In the grand scheme of pictures, how significant in in terms of savings and to payroll and other R and D costs and 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 just normal operating costs? How much does that help the the teams by enforcing this this shutdown? Similar, like we'd see in a normal year, in the, in the in the summer break that we typically see in the beginning of August.
2: Um, I mean, the difficulty, really, I think, is that this isn't isn't a comparable situation because um, you would normally have uh, the teams would normally be able to bank on revenue coming in from sponsors, revenue coming in from prize money um, being the key. Sources. I mean, then they also get payments from their owners, but um, they're the two external sources of revenue: prize money and sponsorship. But at the minute, they can't guarantee on either of those coming in. So, I mean, if you don't really, let's say, I mean, in an extreme case, if you have zero revenue, it doesn't matter how high or low your costs are, unless they go to zero, which they're not. You're always going to be making a loss. So, I mean, um, that's the problem. It's that it's not so much oh, the teams are saving money by not racing because they are. The problem is that they don't, there's really, there's no visibility of where their revenue is going to come from.
1: Okay, well, yeah, that uh, that makes uh, very, very good sense, and uh, yeah, I, I completely understand that point of view. It, it is just, mm, it is so interesting, tough. it is tough, I mean, uh, w- when it, we, we fall and unf- find ourselves, and this word unprecedented has been uh, yeah. used almost mm. uh, to the point of it, it's losing its uh, relevancy, but yeah. Yeah, at the same time, it it is accurate, because it is a, a situation that uh, has not been seen, uh, definitely Definitely in, in in modern times, and uh, it is yeah. uh, very very uh, difficult uh, for everyone. But I did notice, uh, uh, I think it was uh, last week uh, that uh, you did uh, done some analysis uh, for Forbes magazine. I believe it was. Mm-hmm. W- w- just I, I know a lot of this is uh, speculative because we don't know when we're going to come out on the other side of this, and, and when things uh, when restrictions might uh, gradually start to be eased, and normal life and the economy can get up and running again. But just based, uh, maybe so the most recent and information just uh from the from the business side uh, how do you expect uh, formula one is poised to maybe recover once the economy gets uh, up and running again
2: um i mean that's a tricky one because i think it's going to depend on what formula one looks like at that time and as we discussed at the outset. I mean, there's a very real chance that it'll look completely different to what it was before. Not obviously, not visually so much, but just in terms of the financial landscape. I mean, if you've got teams that are running on budgets that are 50% of what they were previously, I mean, it's going to be completely different. You know, running perhaps at races with no spectators um, for maybe the next year, if they can even get them off the ground, perhaps running at four different races and, you know, four races, three or four races on the same track. I mean, that may not be appealing to people, to spectators, to TV television viewers. I mean, uh, you know, if you've got the same, the same track hosting four different races, who knows if if TV viewers will be interested in that? That's the pro- I think that's the real problem. We don't know, and that is unprecedented. Again, to use that word, but I mean that's a fact. If they if they start doing that, there's a real risk that the popularity of the series could just go through the floor. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that that really is uh, the, the the question is that uh, until we get some sort of clarity and some sort of understanding where everything is going to go, and uh, w- once we have some concrete uh, answers, that uh, a lot of this uh, just is uh, speculation and uh, just uh, trying to g- gaze into the uh, well, the uh, literal uh, crystal ball for some uh, answers to, to mm. that to nobody uh, really has uh at, at the moment but chris i really appreciate you uh joining me here this uh, evening and do you have any final That's thoughts sure. uh, to uh to add uh, before we uh before i let you go
2: um no i mean i think really this is just it's too uncertain uh you know to be able to make any kind of definite statement as to really even the direction things are going we just don't know at this stage so um we'll have to uh, see over there the next uh, month or two, really, to work out where uh, where it seems to be heading. And then we can maybe talk again.
1: <laughs> Very much uh, watch uh, this space. Well, Chris, before yeah. I let you go, uh, please let the listeners know where they can uh, follow you on social media and where they can uh, find your work online.
2: Sure. No, we're at uh, Formula Money. That's a uh, Twitter handle, Formula Money, all one word. And then it's formulamoney.com.
1: Christian Silt, thank you so very much, and I wish you all the best. Perfect. Take care of yourselves, and we'll, we'll talk again soon.
2: Looking forward to it, and thanks very much. Good to, good to talk.
1: It was my pleasure, and I really look forward to talking to again very, very soon. Okay, time now for a very quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, well, welcome back to Scuderia F1 here on the Overtime Media Network. And many thanks again to Christian Sill from Formula One Money, who joined us in the previous segment. And before we get into the news, which I want to go back and touch on a couple of stories that uh, Christian and I talked about uh, before the break here. Um, but before we do that, I just want to mention that uh, Bob Varsha, the, who's a very well-known and very well-respected uh, commentator and uh, broadcast host here in North America in, uh, in U.S. motorsport, uh, he has tested positive for coronavirus, and this is real short. Shock. Bob uh, was a commentator for a speed channel as well as ESPN, CBS, ABC, Fox Sports. And uh, he's been doing so for as long as I uh, can remember. Anyways, uh, Bob, again, this is a, it's like a double whammy. Uh, earlier this year, he was uh, diagnosed with prostate uh, cancer. He was undergoing chemotherapy. And uh, as uh, many of you know, that uh, individuals that, uh, that are uh, battling cancer, when they go through chemo, it does uh, really uh, damage one's uh, immune system. Anyways, uh, people like that, a lot of them have become very susceptible to coronavirus. And, uh, anyways, uh, Bob has you know contracted it, and um, he's uh, been in quarantine ever since. and it is terrible news. Really uh, sad to hear that, and uh, of course, our our thoughts or prayers go out to, to Bob and his family and uh, all his loved ones that uh, he makes a complete and full recovery on both kind of fronts from coronavirus and cancer very very soon. I Had a nice email from Bob. It was a couple of years ago now. Uh, he uh, he he reached out uh, out of the blue actually, which uh, was <laughs> I was real really a nice surprise, and uh, shared a very nice uh, story that uh, that he had about uh, Phil Hill. Anyways, uh, let's uh, just to go on. There's a couple of other coronavirus uh, stories here that, uh, that I want to talk about. And um, one of them involves uh, ex mclaren chief uh, Ron Dennis, who uh, earlier this week's announced uh, a new initiative to help uh, frontline uh, health care workers in the United Kingdom uh, during the, the the pandemic. And um, Dennis, he was literally Mr. McLaren for decades. He was uh, the boss there from uh, 1981 until uh, 2017. And uh, he's in charge of the, this new initiative called the. Uh, Salute the NHS.org and that's going to provide high quality meals to uh, NHS uh, workers for the next uh, couple of months. So it, it's really cool. Uh, the, the, the meals that they're going to be uh, making available to these uh, healthcare workers, uh, specifically to ICU teams and aesthetic teams and a staff uh, during their shifts when they're unable to leave clinical areas uh, under the, the current um, uh, health protocols to help uh, combat uh, the spread of uh, COVID-19. Anyways, uh, Dennis and his family have donated £1 million to the initiative, which also has uh, support from other companies, including Tesco's, Absolute Taste, and uh, Yodel. So uh, that's uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Great to hear that. Anyway, Dennis had to say, quote, this is a time when all of us individuals and businesses alike need to stand up and be counted in the effort to combat COVID-19. We're all in this together. I am delighted to be leading this initiative to help ensure that vital NHS workers have nutritious meals while they work every hour in this fight. It means they have one less thing to worry about you <laughs> We have called this salute the SaluteTheNHS.org because I think we are all in awe of the work they are doing to save lives. This is a huge logistical effort to build major professional food delivery operation almost from scratch in a week. I've been so impressed by the fantastic things we have achieved together so far, but we are going to need the support from others as well as ongoing donations to keep this whole operation uh, going. Absolutely uh, brilliant stuff. Uh, glad, glad to see that. And like everyone else, I am in um, absolutely awesome struck and impressed at uh, the amazing things that healthcare workers around the world uh, are, are doing uh, in, in battling uh, COVID-19 and treating people that uh, that have fallen ill. It is uh, is it, it it is absolutely uh, awe-inspiring. I, I can't uh, say thank you enough uh, to the, to all the healthcare workers everywhere that are doing their best to take care of us and keep us all safe. Anyways, uh, sticking on this theme, uh, Mercedes have uh, repurposed uh, their F1 facility in Brixton uh, to help uh, build uh, for the production of breathing aids uh, to assist uh, COVID 19 uh, 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 patients. Excuse me, and this was um, uh, what we talked about uh, last week—the the CPAP machines that uh, they went and uh, basically built. Uh, they reversed engineered and uh, improved upon the design, uh, and 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 got a uh, a workable model in less than 100 hours, which is uh, mind-boggling, but uh, just a really cool thing to see, and just uh, demonstrates uh, the the power and the ingenuity and uh, the the amazing things that Formula One can do uh, in and outside of the pit lane. Uh, anyways, uh, the uh, the high-performance powertrain uh, worked with engineers uh, from University College London to uh, reverse engineers these uh, CPAP machines, and they got uh, sorry, NHS approval last week. And uh, the device, which is otherwise known as the UCL Ventura, has gone uh, undergone evaluations at University College Hospital and other London hospitals. And uh, the UK government has uh, placed an order of 10,000. Uh, <laughs> that's an astonishing number. Anyways, uh, a press release from uh, Mercedes had the following to say, a quote After a UK government order for up to 10,000, the devices are being produced at a rate of up to 1,000 a day at the HPP Technology Centre in Brixworth, Northamptonshire. Currently, 40 machines that would normally produce F1 pistons and turbochargers are being used for the production of the CPAP devices, and the entire Bricksworth facility has been repurposed to meet this demand, end quote. Again, uh, no words. Uh, I'm just extremely impressed uh, and, and grateful that uh, that uh, such a thing uh, can be done in such a, a short amount of time and able to produce the the, the numbers of these devices that uh, that are required. Uh, it's, it's really good to see. Uh, let's move on to this is what we were talking about a little bit earlier with Christian, and this is um, Ross Braun, who was uh, talking about uh, possibly holding twelve, sorry, 19 races behind closed doors if uh, Formula One gets a, a season up and running. And uh, Braun, he was uh, speaking earlier this week to the Sky Sports F1 Vodcast, and he had the following to say, quote, Obviously, travel for the teams and travel for everyone involved is going to be one of the big issues. You could argue that once we get there, we could be fairly self-contained." Our view that probably a European start will be favorable and could even be in a closed event. We would be a very enclosed environment where the teams would come in on charters, we would channel them into the circuit, we make sure everyone is tested, cleared, there is no risk to anyone, and we have a race with no spectators. That's not great, but it's better than no racing at all. I think we have to remember there are millions of people who follow the sport sat at home. A lot of them are isolating and to be able to put on a sport, keep the sport alive and entertain people would be a huge bonus with the crisis we have, but we can't put anyone at risk. We're looking at the organizational structure that would give us the earliest start, but also the ability to maintain that start. There's no point having a start and then stopping again for a while and then having another start. I think it's most likely to be in Europe and it's conceivable it could be a closed event, end quote. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I, I think that uh, that that's the big thing, right? Is, uh, you're going to get all these people to come and that is the big thing. I mean, as Christian said, it wasn't uh, so much that uh, it was a member of the public that uh, tested positive for a coronavirus in australia but uh, it was rather it was one of the team members now that was just the way that it worked out and uh, that doesn't really mean anything it just just the way that the situation was. But again, the thing is, and and the way that it's uh, been explained here by our health authorities in Canada is that we're just in the first wave. And until a vaccine or cure comes along, that uh, this is just going to be the one of probably two or perhaps even three waves of coronavirus over the next year or so until they're able to uh, develop this vaccine or enough uh, of the, the, the world population becomes immune to it and has the antibodies to fight it off. Again, I don't know. (laughs) I'm not going to try and explain it because I don't completely understand it fully myself. I'm just trying to recount it uh, as best I can. Anyways, um, he did go on when he was asked by Martin uh, Brundle why uh, Formula One has not been able to announce any new dates uh, while other uh, racing series have. Uh, Braun went on to say that it's just the, the nature of Formula 1, and it's just a lot more intricate and complex than, than other sports. Anyways, uh, he had to, the following to, to say in that uh, follow-up uh, question to... Uh, quote, our season is longer than most of the other racing series. Canada has just been cancelled. If we included Canada, we'd have to revise the calendar again. So we felt it was better to wait until the situation stabilized before we present the calendar. That's been an awful lot of work done. Eight races it is actually the minimum we could have a world championship within the FAA statutes. We could achieve eight races by starting in October. So if you wanted to drop that point, that would be October. But then there's always the possibility we could run into next year. That's assuming we finish this year and that's being explored. Can we strain to January to finish the season? There are all sorts of complications you can imagine with that. If we were to start in the beginning of July, we could do a 19 race season. Tough. Three races on, one weekend off. Three races on, one weekend off. But we've looked at all the logistics and we think we can hold an 18 to 19 race season if we are able to get started in July. So the choice is anything between those two numbers. End quote. And again, because the situation is so fluid and uh, and changing so rapidly, it really is a, a question of uh, well, <laughs> when do we get anybody get the the, the go ahead and the all clear? And uh, again, once uh, things uh, start ramping up, it's going to be slow. And um, if there's uh, additional outbreaks, you know, we might have to, to to roll things back again. But it doesn't hurt to plan, and it uh, you have to have some contingency because we just can't shut everything down. Life unfortunately or fortunately depending on your point of view does have to continue it uh, in in some manner it's just uh, it is it's it's a difficult uh, situation obviously and it's uh, just drawing that line and and really doing it in the most responsible way because of course when it comes to playing with the health and and safety of people you have to err on the side of caution and in this case we have to err on the side of extreme caution anyways uh, uh, Ross Briney did have to say that um, as well in another interview he said that uh, Formula One has to balance the risk and economic impact uh, to decide on uh, the, the start of the season. Um, and again, uh, this was uh, when he was talking to uh, to, to Martin Brundle, and uh, he said, quote, Obviously, we have to follow government guidelines, but I think people are going to have to back go back to work at some point, and I don't know if this thing is 100% up cleared up until we do that. If we wait until it's 100% cleared up and a vaccine has been invented and everyone's been vaccinated... What point in the time in the future is that? So there will be some degree of judgment involved when it is fair and correct for people to go back to work, for people to engage in things that they did before, perhaps with a lot more precautions than they took before. End quote. And you know that is a very interesting uh, bit of insight. Uh, I was um, just on a bit of a side note. It was uh, interesting. Uh, one of the other things that I do, and I've, I've, I've referred to it uh, occasionally on the program here, is that uh, I do a lot of uh, coverage for uh, Vancouver Whitecaps FC who. Play Play in major league soccer. And I was in on a, a Zoom conference uh, with uh, several of my uh, media colleagues and uh, a couple of the players from Whitecaps FC earlier this week. And it was it was a bit of a weird, surreal uh, situation. I mean, a, a lot of these other uh, journalists, I mean, they're, they're friends, they're colleagues. I mean, we associate uh, away from, uh, fr- from matches and training and things like that but it was kind of strange uh, sitting down uh w- with uh, with a couple of the players uh, everybody at uh, at home uh or wherever they were and uh, to see the players uh, just dressed in uh, in in just regular clothes I mean usually like uh, professional athletes they're in their training kits or uh, after the match or uh, you know or the, sometimes you catch them coming in and out of matches and they're in a suit and tie and all that so to see these guys just in a, in a sweatshirt and uh, <laughs> not as uh, as polished as they usually uh, uh, where it was a bit surreal and just to of talking about things and just uh, the, the situation and just uh, how they were coping with it personally and uh, how they're keeping in shape and how they're keeping uh, connected uh, with with their their teammates and their friends and their families and all that it really was a, a bit of a strange uh, situation and it just uh it, it sort of struck me at that point that you know when when one of my media colleagues asked them about well what do you think about uh, you know getting prepared for the start of the season that may start at some point and of course we don't know when and if that's uh, going to happen this year and uh and that it sort of just really struck me as just the, uh, the, the, the strangeness of it all and the fact that everything really is up in uh, the air in the moment and uh, of course that uh, dovetails nicely into in everything that we're talking about in Formula One here it just it really is a very strange period of time to be uh, experiencing and just a very strange situation and uh, the, the fact is that no matter where you are what walk of life you come from at the moment uh, we really are all in this uh, together and uh, and nobody has not been impacted by this in, in one way or another and and honestly, if the, the, the worst thing to happen to us is just to be inconvenienced and in having to stay at home and not be able to watch a motor race or a football match or whatever it might uh, be, then of course, that is the, the, the best case uh, scenario for uh, hopefully all of us. Uh, unfortunately, that's not going to be the case in, uh, in every circumstance. Anyways, uh, time for one final break here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, well, just a couple more pieces of news uh, before we uh, start to, to shut it down for this week. And uh, just sticking with the the idea of uh, races uh, being canceled and re, uh, rescheduled and put on at some point, uh, Jan Lammers, who's the sporting uh, director for the Dutch Grand Prix, says the organizers of the Sunfor race have not considered uh, the option of putting on a race uh, behind uh, closed doors. And uh, Lammers said that uh, he would prefer actually delaying the uh, race, The uh, I guess, the re-inaugural uh, Dutch Grand Prix because it was going to- this year was going to be the first Dutch Grand Prix since, what, 1984, 1985? So uh, a long time ago. Um, anyway, uh, he did say that uh, they actually preferred delaying the event until next year in 2021 if it meant uh, that fans can uh, attend the race. And uh, it uh, they, they said it's just because it's... Uh, You know, it just uh, would not be the same. Anyways, uh, uh, Lammers uh, had the, the following to say, quote, a race without fans is an unthinkable scenario. If you have a race, it has to be without compromise. You have to be able to celebrate. For us, it's about the return of Formula One after 35 years. That should be a great party you want to celebrate with everyone. Um, If we are being asked that question, we will have to think seriously about it. A race without fans is not something we want to think about until we're being asked that question. Fortunately, that hasn't happened yet. As far as we're concerned, though, it's just not possible. Anyways, yeah, you you can understand that. And uh, again, as uh, we, we were talking about earlier in the show, it really would be weird. But again, at the end of the day... I think that uh, that that once we get out of this uh, situation and life ret- starts to return to normal as uh, things start to get rolling again, I think we all have to consider alternative approaches to uh, to to getting back to where we were. And of of course, it's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to be just as easy as just flipping a switch and just expecting everything to to be as uh, as it was uh, a couple of months ago. It's it's just not going to going to be like that, unfortunately. Anyways, uh, you can understand, uh, you know, why uh, Lammers and the uh, the uh, the organizers of the Dutch Grand Prix would uh, would want to rather postpone rather than uh, than hold the race behind uh, closed doors. It would would be strange, but who knows? It it, it could be a, an option. It it is kind of interesting though. Like, uh, I, I have been watching a couple of these uh, virtual uh, races that they've had in uh, in recent times, and you know, there is an element of excitement to it. Uh, of course, it helps uh, when you have uh, Formula One drivers in involved in it, like uh, Charles uh, Leclerc. Uh, you had uh, Alex Albon. You had both uh, Williams drivers. A- and uh, I-, I think it's cool. I mean, there's recognizable, na- uh, recognizable names in there. You had uh, Stoffel van Dorn, reserve driver at uh, Mercedes, and uh, he drives uh, in their Formula uh, for, sorry Formula E team. Of course, he was in Formula 1 with McLaren for a couple of years. It would be cool, too, I mean, to get some of the, uh, the-, the-, the top-tier guys in there, like uh, besides uh, Charles Leclerc. And Charles, obviously... Uh, if you watched that uh, race uh, last weekend, virtual race that is, that uh, Charles apparently is just as good as uh, as virtual racing as he is in uh, in a real car, which is uh, good news or bad news uh, depending uh, who you are. But uh, his brother Arthur Leclerc was also involved, as well as uh, a bunch of uh, well-known uh, sim drivers as well. So I found it uh, quite enjoyable. I mean, I was only uh, watching on my phone. It's not quite the same as uh as a uh, as a, as a real race, of course, but. It, uh, you know, Formula One 2019. That's a game that uh, that I play quite a bit, quite a lot at the moment, uh, actually. So, it is a, it is a interesting and kind of fun to watch uh, guys that uh, that are you know, in theory, a lot better than me doing it. Although Johnny Herbert's uh, probably not so much. Uh, poor old Johnny uh, was right around at the back of the pack. But I, I guess uh, from from what I did understand is he got his rig only uh, a couple of days previous to that. So <laughs> he was obviously getting up to speed to it. But it is something, it is uh, some form of uh, entertainment. And uh, that that is not to say that we uh, should ignore everything that's going on in the outside uh, world. But it is I, I think for the sake of uh just from a, a point of view of stress and anguish and uh, our own mental health that uh, you, you can't sit there for for 24 hours of the day you know, worrying about uh, the the health of yourself and your loved ones and, uh, and and money and jobs and everything there has to be a little bit of a release a time for something good because if it's all negative that in the long run that's not going to be good uh, for for people as well so it's uh, it's obviously a question of uh, of balance but you know, again, there are different things that uh, that could happen, but I don't know. It would be nice to see some sort of season get going. And I, if, if there was a way to do it uh, safely, I don't particularly have a problem going back to uh, the, the, the question about the Dutch Grand Prix. I don't particularly have a problem running races uh, behind uh, closed doors. Of course, uh, I think the big uh, question will come down to each and every uh, race and whether or not it's uh, financially uh, possible or not. But uh, obviously, it would uh, lack the uh, the the atmosphere of having the fans there. But still, racing's racing, and uh, it would be just uh, good to see some racing uh, on the track. Anyways, uh, just uh, talking about uh, other Formula One drivers and uh, what they had to, to say about uh, different things uh, on the situation. McLaren driver Lando Norris said that uh, running a race on uh, Silverstone in uh, the reverse format uh, would be uh, would be cool, but uh, tricky. And uh, he said it's a, it's a great opportunity, even if this uh, reverse layout uh, looks uh, tricky. Anyways, uh, he did um, say in an interview um, at, with uh, motorsport.com, and he had to say, quote, actually been thinking about it and saw on board from someone who tried it in reverse and it looks different. It looks quite tricky. So you're going to go to Beckets to Maggots with the track in reverse. It looks tr- quite tricky and different. I don't know what and how we would play into the racing and stuff because you have a few, quite a few high-speed corners, which lead on to the straights rather than slow-speed corners. So it might be a bit tricky to overtake, or it may be easy, I'm not too sure, but it would be cool. I think it's more the fact of hopefully having some more British Grand Prix, maybe get some more races at home. It's better for all of us within McLaren, of course myself, to have more home races in a way. And for the British fans, I think they would love a bit more. So yeah, I'm up for it. Uh, If F1 would allow it, and if Silverstone can do it, then I think it's a great opportunity." again, thinking outside uh, the box, definitely what uh, we have to do. Um, Anyways, just uh, a little bit more on uh, just some of the technical side of it. Uh, Formula One is uh, considering a token system for 2021 when it comes to uh, car development. And this is possibly could be introduced so that individual formula 1 teams can decide which elements of the car they uh, decide to freeze or develop over the next uh, two seasons obviously the uh, the 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 long awaited uh, new regulations technical regulations that were set to be introduced and launched uh, next year that's uh, put on ice now for the for the time being because of all the uh, all the uh, bigger things uh, going on in the world and uh, it was going to be tight even uh, under normal circumstances and just impossible with uh, what's happening uh, right now with uh, the, the pandemic uh, situation. So it's already been agreed that the current chassis will be uh, frozen for 2020 and 2021 seasons and also in the, 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 the past few weeks, uh, teams and uh, Formula 1 bosses have been discussing what other elements uh, they could also freeze in order to uh, cut uh, development costs in the The interim. So, um, of course, uh, Formula One is uh, always a situation where not everybody can uh, decide on the same thing. And of course, all the teams have different ideas of which parts of the cars that they might like to focus on. Improving on over this year and the the, the following seasons until the uh, the new regulations eventually come into uh, effect for 2022 or 2023, whenever it might be. Um, so anyways, a couple of days ago, they had a, a conference call involving the the team principals uh, and also F1 bosses Chase Carey and Ross Braun, as well as FAA president Jean Tote. And the idea of a token system uh, actually seemed to, to be fairly well received and uh, did get some uh, support from those uh, in attendance. So basically, it was agreed that a significant percentage of the overall package well will be frozen until the end of next year, and then uh, each of the teams will have a set number of uh, what they're going to call development tokens, which they can deploy in uh, specific areas that they want to change and improve upon uh, in their in their in their cars. Anyways, this is something that uh, is not completely unheard of, uh, especially in recent times, and uh, they had a very similar system for for power units, uh, you know, several years ago when we came into the V6 Turbo era and uh, each uh, component of the power unit was uh, assigned a, 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 a token value so uh, back then uh, manufacturers were initially uh, uh, allocated 32 tokens per year to use as they wished and that figure was um, due to drop to 20 uh, 25 and 20 sorry in 2017 down to 20 in 2018 and then 15 in 2019 anyways uh, it didn't actually go that way and they they abandoned that uh, token system back back. Back in 2017, to allow manufacturers to uh, do whatever development they wished, and this was uh, to help uh, Ferrari, Renault, Honda. Catch up to uh, Mercedes. So again, uh, Mercedes was doing such a good job. But anyways, uh, I, I think it's a good idea. And uh, another cost-saving uh, uh, measure that they're looking to adopt uh, maybe for 2020 and 2021 will be uh, tighter FA aerodynamic testing regulations or restrictions. And uh, these rules cover the use of wind tunnels uh, for aerodynamic R and D. Um anyways uh this uh they've also uh extended the factory shutdown uh from the current 3 weeks and that's going to be uh confirmed as uh, any potential start of the season appears to be going later and later so that uh shutdown will probably uh get uh, pushed back and uh keep going for a while yet anyways Again, when it comes to, to Formula One, there's always got to be some, uh, some controversy and, uh, some, uh, some politicking going on. Apparently Renault still has, uh, some questions over what they call the, uh, the, the legality of racing points, uh, quote unquote, uh, Pink Mercedes. And uh, Renault team principal Cyril Vitebol says that his team is still what he calls uneasy about uh, the uh, the prank Mercedes. And uh, he said that the formal challenge on the legality of the, the racing points uh, carbon copy of the uh, Mercedes uh, uh, from last year is still not out of the question. So anyways, uh, it, it, this has been going on for a while, obviously, when the team showed up to, to Barcelona for uh, winter testing in the middle of uh, February, which seems an absolutely a att- Eternity ago, uh, considering everything that's uh, happened since then. Anyways, uh, when they showed up at uh, Barcelona, they uh, revealed their RP20, which is their their car for this year, which was uh, based on last year's uh, Mercedes W10. Anyways, uh, the uh, R- Racing Point team was absolutely adamant that they've done nothing outside of the regulations, and uh, some of their rivals were just uh, not very happy about what they called it. Well, it was basically a, a clone car that it was uh, going to be uh, allowed. Anyways, um, there were other concerns that were brought up about uh, teams having even closer alliances uh, being made between some of the teams, and uh, that could really hurt some of the uh, the, the, the teams out there that uh, wanted to uh, remain uh, d- dependent on that. Um, anyways, uh, Abitaboul uh, told uh, French uh, channel uh, Canal Plus um, in an interview earlier this week, uh, they've got a great photographer, that's for sure, but to be fair, I've noticed How that they've quite honestly said that they've copied. I think it's the first time since I joined Formula One that someone has been really proud of copying, like someone who forges artworks being super happy with the work that he's done. Yet it's not the original piece or the pride of working on an original piece. End quote. Yeah, well, I mean, surreal. I mean, he's uh, not being very uh, well. He's not beating about the bush, and uh, very interesting that uh, that that uh, you know there is a possibility of a legal challenge on the uh, or a challenge to the legality of uh, the RP twenty, and whether that is uh, allowed uh, under the rules. And uh, also, uh, well, it's it's a shame in a way that uh, well, I mean, it's a shame in many ways that the uh, season didn't get underway in uh, in Australia several weeks ago, as we'd all hoped to because one of the things that uh, was very interesting was that dual axis steering system that uh, that was uh, unveiled by uh, Mercedes during uh, winter testing and uh, there, there was a whole debate on whether or not uh, the, I mean even though it was technically legal it was uh, the, the, there was a possibility that uh, that it could um, uh, violate park for may rules and uh, several of the teams said that if uh, they actually uh, deployed it and used it in the, the Australian Grand Prix that the, that might have actually resulted in a illegal challenge however we will never know and uh to uh to a certain extent <laughs> i'm that, that's something i wish well, i don't wish it but it would have been interesting to see had they actually used it the uh, the australian grand prix had that uh actually gone through whether uh, any of the teams uh, the other nine uh, formula one teams would have actually uh protested uh, that um anyway so just uh, this again this one final story this uh, just will not go away it seems to to, to pop up uh, every uh, couple of weeks and uh, this is just the, the whole uh, controversy about uh, the legality of uh, Ferrari's engine last year. Anyways, uh, Jean Tote, FAA president and uh, obviously uh, someone who has a historical connection uh, to uh, Ferrari uh, because he was a uh, team principal uh, there uh, during their glory years, uh, during the, the Schumacher era a long time ago. Says that uh, he'd like to uh, release some uh, details about uh, the, uh, the the deal uh, and the, the, the controversy that uh, the team had and the sanction that the team was given, but he said he's not able to do so because uh, Ferrari actually won't let him do so. Anyways, he was uh, speaking to, to Motorsport.com earlier this week and uh, he had the, the the following to say quote "If you ask me, I would love to be able to give all the details of the situation, but Ferrari were opposed, so I mean they have been sanctioned, but we can give the detail of the sanction, and clearly, we could have said nothing, but we felt it would have been wrong not to say that the Ferrari case had been discussed, and there had been sanction. honestly, it's very simple." Very simple. We have put so much effort to come to our conclusions, which they, the teams, do not agree. Unfortunately, it is very much a fait accompli of technical matters because our uh, technicians say we cannot for sure demonstrate as much as we uh, should that they, Ferrari, were not legal end quote. So yeah, I think it uh, it was one of those uh, situations that, uh, that uh, you know, what's that old saying where there's smoke, uh, there's fire, um, that uh, the, obviously there was something going on, but it was maybe just a little bit uh, too uh, difficult uh, to um, uh, to pin down. But however, I mean, it, it is one of those stories that just hasn't gone away. And, uh, and like I say, it just uh, seems to pop up from, from time to time, every couple or several weeks. And uh, I was a little bit uh, surprised uh, to see it. However, I wasn't uh, completely surprised uh, to hear that uh, that there was something uh, funny going on and that uh, they'd actually uh, been sanctioned. And uh, of course, that uh, probably never will see uh, the light of day. Anyways, time to wrap it up uh, there. Thank you all very much uh, for uh, downloading and listening to the show this week. Again, very big thanks to Christian Silt of Formula Money. And again, guys, take care of each other. Be good to each other and uh, stay safe, stay healthy. And we'll talk to you again very, very soon. Talk to you again. Ciao. Bye for now
0: thanks for listening to the Skidaria f1 podcast if you want to get the show notes for this episode then head over to skidariaf one podcom want to get in touch with us then email us at scuderia one pod at gmail.com